You are listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. So when is it easiest to lead? Is it easiest to lead at the beginning of a project or in the middle or at the end? I think it's pretty easy to lead at the beginning. Everybody's excited. The leader's got some change in his pocket. I think it's pretty easy to lead at the end when people see that we're nearing completion and they get excited. Sometimes it's in the middle when opposition mounts and criticism comes that people lose heart and sometimes don't finish. And that's where we find our story today, uh, Nehemiah's story, in the sixth chapter. Opposition just doesn't let up. Let's look at it. Sanballat, one of the enemies, and Geshem, another enemy, sent this message. Send the message to, to Nehemiah. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Uh, why should the work stop? He says, Nehemiah says, why should the work stop while I leave it and go down with you? Um, the plain of Ono, I've got a map here, is about 37 miles from Jerusalem. It, it's at the farthest extreme of Judah. And I think Nehemiah felt like he was in danger there. It was a, a full day journey, 37 miles, and that day would be a, a full day. He would spend the night and a full day journey back. So at, at best, he'd be two days away from his project, but at worst, he'd be kidnapped or even assassinated. So he said, why? <laughs> We're doing good work here. I don't need to meet with you. Well, they didn't stop with that. They sent the same message a second time. They sent the same message a third time. They sent the same message a fourth time. Many people, four times, they go, okay, well, I'll just do it to get rid of them. But it was clear Nehemiah was not going and was not going to cooperate. So they pull out a, a, a proven trick out of their, out of their bag of tricks. Um, and, and they write an open letter that anybody in Jerusalem can read. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. And therefore, you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a new king in Jerusalem, in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So, before it does, come, let us meet together. 70 or 80 years before this, they had tried to rebuild the wall. And not these enemies, but their previous generation of enemies sent a letter to the king and said, we encourage you to look in the record and see that Jerusalem is a wicked city. And then it would not serve the king well to see it rebuilt. And they sent the letter, 
And the king replied back to them. He said, the letter you've sent reached me and was translated in my presence. I searched the records as you suggested, and I found indeed that Jerusalem was a city of, re of revolt and rebellion and sedition. Jerusalem has had powerful kings. Now issue an order that the work stops so that the city will not be rebuilt. And so Nehemiah knew that this had been tried before and was successful, but Nehemiah also, this was a, an, an older king, Nehemiah knew he had a good relationship with this king and knew the wall could be finished even before the message reached the king. So he sent this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. <laughs> You're just making it up out of your head. He added, they were, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. And the Lord did. You and I have an enemy of our souls. You and I have an enemy that will try to make you afraid. Will try to belittle you, will try to mock you, will accuse you. Who will tell you that you are too young or too old or too educated or not educated enough? He will remind you of how many times you have failed in the past. He will tell you of certain failure that will await you. And it's all lies. It's lies. Jesus said of the devil, when he speaks, he speaks lies because he is the father of lies. Lying is his native tongue, Jesus said. But these, these, these people in opposition wouldn't give up, so they tried another tact. Let's look at it. One day, I went to the house of Shema, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabal, who was shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, this is Nehemiah speaking, but I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah, one of his enemies, and Sanballat, another enemy, had hired him. Now Nehemiah's enemies are trying to be far more subtle. Shemaiah means Yahweh has heard, and yet this man whose name means Yahweh has heard was paid to falsely prophesy. Nehemiah says, he had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me, give me a bad name to discredit me. Even though he was the governor of Judah, he wasn't allowed to go into the house of the Lord because he wasn't a priest or he wasn't a Levite. It says in 2 Chronicles 23, 6, let no one enter the house of the Lord except for priests or ministering Levites. They may enter for they are holy. 
And so these enemies are frustrated. They, they, they can't get to him to assassinate him. They can't get him along to kidnap him. Now they're trying to embarrass him, make him do something that he loses face and he sins and he loses credibility. And they can't get him to do that. Again, he prays, Lord, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elu. In 52 days. It's remarkable. It's a remarkable accomplishment. And when our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Now, in this sermon series, uh, I have said a number of times that we are ministering in a day where 75% of those who live around us aren't involved in the life of a church at all. And it's 75, maybe even 80% of the children in our schools don't go to church at all. They don't learn about the love of Jesus. They don't hear the stories of grace. We have walls to rebuild. And so we are regathering. It's been a long year and we are coming out of it this week. I track the, the, the COVID numbers every day. I do. It's just a little thing I do. And this week, we had the lowest death rates uh, in America since uh, the first week in September. And it's going to be even lower this, this coming week. And, and it's, it's slowly dwindling. And so we are regathering. And it's good to see you. Each week, I see people I haven't seen before, or at least I haven't seen for a long time. And it is good to see you, and I know I'm speaking to some people at home, and you'll be back soon too, I'm sure. We've got work to do. We've got walls to rebuild. But I want to start here with the wall of your own heart. Your heart. This sermon uh, is, is strategic. We need to rebuild the walls, but the first wall we have to rebuild is the wall of our own heart. Let me ask you a question. What causes you to be on fire for the Lord? Another question. Has it been a while since you have been on fire from the Lord or with the Lord? Your heart has been inflamed with the love of God. And if it has been a while, what changed? If it has been a while, what can you do to reignite your own heart until our hearts are in line? Until our hearts love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength, there's not a lot we can do to rebuild walls in our community, or even in our family. Now, Satan will do anything he can do to cause a diversion. And perhaps 
The biggest diversion the enemy has ever waged against the church is right now upon us. The statistics involving pornography are staggering. It's a $99 billion industry, more than Netflix, Amazon Prime, HBO, and any other combined, more than the NFL, NBA, major hockey combined. There's 370 million porn sites and more start every day and pornography is rewiring the brains of people all around us and some in this room. Dr. Philip Zimbardo, a researcher with the University of Stanford says blatantly, young lives are being ruined by porn. Porn captivates the imagination. It hijacks initiative. And anything that damages relationships damages our happiness and our ability to live for the Lord. Porn changes the way people relate to one another. Porn causes people to withdraw. Porn changes the way people think, changes the way people act. There are now over 50 studies linking porn to sexual violence. Just this week, I discovered some resources that I have to share with you. I am so excited to share with you. The first is this, fight the new drug. And here's how their webpage opens. We are a non-religious, non-legislative nonprofit using only science, facts, and personal counts, encouraging individuals to make informed decisions, informed decisions about pornography. And that webpage is this, fightthenewdrug.com. Take a pen out and write it down. Whether you need it or not, if you know five people, two of them are stuck. They're stuck. This is an all-out frontal assault right now. And it's on our watch. And we've got to fight. Fightthenewdrug.com. There's another webpage put out by the same people. The truth about porn. And it talks about what porn does to individuals what porn does to relationships, and what porn does in a society at large. That webpage is truthaboutporn.org. Write it down. Somebody you know needs this. If you're a parent here, your children need this. If you're a grandparent here, your grandchildren need this. Let me share with you this one. Brainheartworld.org. This webpage has three videos that are absolutely amazing in their quality. Uh, they're just amazing, and I'm, I don't know if you know this, but I'm pretty highly critical of, of media. I have children involved in media, pretty high taste. And these three um, videos, a half an hour each, involve, um, it's kind of a documentary thing, but it's funny. It's hopeful. It's not bang, 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 bang. It, it, it gives hope. 
but it, it illumines as well the danger. Uh, I hope many of you get on this week and watch them. This is brainheartworld.org. Now, these organizations say we are non-religious, non-legislative. And I want you to know I have no problem with that at all. None. Because we, we know what God thinks about it. God has invented all truth, and now we see that science and personal story confirmed what God's been saying all along. This is science saying this is a danger to the minds and imaginations of an entire generation. There's a, a, an app you can put on your phone. Same people, Fortify. You, you go to, uh, you go to uh, your uh, Apple store or the, on, uh, the, the other store for non-Apple. Uh, on, on. <laughs> right, I got an iPad, I got an iBook, I got an iPhone, I'm Apple. I, I've been Apple for a long time. This is Apple. But if you're, you know, there it is. I couldn't even think of the name. I couldn't even think of the name. <laughs> so if you're Android, there's an Android app store. You can get it. And uh, you can put it on your phone. And it has things that you, know, you can say, I want to learn. And, and I don't know if you can read these, but some of the things. And there are so many of these. Seeing the problem clearly. Persevering love and romance. Supercharging the mind and body. It, it has videos numerous videos you can watch just to, just to help you and, and to give you uh, the ammunition you need. Um, it says, uh, one of the videos is never before in human history. Another one is synthetic sexuality. Uh, another one is uh, swept away in the addiction cycle. Uh, another one is the science of getting stuck. Now, I, I want to tell you, these are hopeful web pages. This is not slamming people. This is saying what you are dealing with or what your children or grandchildren are dealing with is very serious and potentially very harmful, but there is great hope, and there is. I hope you will avail yourself of such things. I really do. You know. I go to prayer meetings. Recently, I went to one, and it was a multi-church, multi-congregation prayer meeting, and, and most of the prayers were praying for the people that have to change. Help them, Lord. It was as if the people praying had all they needed and weren't praying for themselves at all, but we were praying for them out there. The truth of the matter is, <laughs> if you're alive and you're praying, you have needs too. You've not arrived. I've not arrived. The truth is, we all have plenty of room to grow. I'd love to be in some prayer meetings that say, Lord, our friends out of these doors need some help, but we do too. We want to be more like you. We want to be less consumed by the world. 
We want your truth to burn in our hearts. In, in, in Galatians 5, there's this list of uh, fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you, if you want to think about what you need to do to grow, look at that list. <laughs> there's two or three there that I need help. I bet there's something there that you need help on too. You see, until our hearts are leaning in the right direction. There's not a lot we can do to rebuild walls beyond our own hearts. We say around here, we want to transform our community with the love of Christ. But to do that, we need transformed lives. Not transformed all said and done, but trans lives that are being transformed and continuing as Paul said, going from glory to glory. And it's when our hearts are on fire and when our, the walls of our hearts are being rebuilt, then we can attend to the next wall, the wall of our family. Years ago, uh, we were living in Bedford, Ohio, and we lived on the center street of Bedford. And... Um, Debbie and I went to bed, and one of our teenage boys came in after we were in bed, and I got up the next morning, and not only was the door unlocked, but it was ajar. And so I, I woke my son up, and I said, I, I want you to know this is a teachable moment, son. One of the main responsibilities you have is to protect those you love. And locking the door is one of those things. I mean, anybody could have come in and knocked off your mom and dad, your brother. Anybody could have. One of these days you'll be married. And he is. He's a wonderful boy. He got the lesson. And you'll know that you'll do anything you can do to protect your family. You know, we build houses and as far as I know, every house in several surrounding counties have roofs on them. You got a house with a roof? I bet you do. I bet you've got doors on your houses that have locks, don't you? You got windows with locks? Sure you do. Because you want to protect the people you love and the stuff you've gathered. But the enemy has found a way to breach those walls. The enemy has found a way to get in our homes and mess with the minds of the people we love. Three weeks ago, I met with educators on a Monday night. And it was, it was a wonderful meeting, and I was so appreciative. And one of the things they shared was this. Parents are all too often oblivious to what the internet and particularly social media is doing in the lives of their children. They said, parents just don't get it. There are apps on your children's phones that are hidden. You say, let me see your phone, and you can't find it because it's not supposed to be found by a parent. And it's, it's destroying our children. 
You're a dad and a mom. Grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle. And you love your children, grandchildren, nieces, and nephews. Protect them. And that means sometimes getting in their face and not letting come natural what would come natural which would destroy them. If your heart is being rebuilt, your family's being rebuilt, then you have the moral authority to minister to those who are close to you. The people that you see regularly, the people that you love, the people who it says in Romans 12, you know, to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And those are those people. If, if they were going through a tough time, you'd be going through a tough time vicariously because you love them so much. If they were rejoicing, you would rejoice because you love them so much. And if your heart is being rebuilt and your family is being protected, then we, we, we have the emotional authority to minister to that close circle of friends. And then, with all of those things being done, we can attend to the broken down walls of our larger community, our community at large. And we've got great work to do. But some of us can't do it. And I don't say this accusatorily, I don't. I love you. I say this with a broken heart. But some of you can't address issues in our community because you're stuck. And there's this little voice that says, you'll get unstuck tomorrow. The problem is that same voice says the same thing tomorrow about the day after tomorrow. And then the day after that and the day after that. And before long, years are wasted. We've got work to do. The enemy has planted weeds, weeds among the crops. You know that parable Jesus told? His disciples came to him and said, there's, there's weeds amongst the crops. Should we pull out the weeds? And Jesus said, you can't do that. You'll pull up the wheat also. Better let them grow. We'll separate them later. The enemy has sown among us. We've got work to do. It is not time to sleep. It is not time to be caught. It is not time to be trapped. It's time to allow the grace and power of Jesus Christ to set captives free. I pray with a group of pastors every Thursday. Have done so now for eight years. Every Thursday at the YMCA. We meet in the chapel. About a month ago, the grand pooba of the YMCA, I guess he's called the executive director, right? He came in our prayer gathering. He said, you know what, guys? I just was thinking, we've got a prayer box down on the desk. And anybody who comes in and out of the YMCA, and incidentally, the director of the YMCA is a marvelous Christian gentleman. He's just, we're just so glad to be praying there and blessing the Y. He said, you know what? They put prayer requests in and we pray for them as a staff. He said, but you know, why don't we share them with you? And you could pray for them too. We said, great. And so he said, every week I'll put them in this desk drawer in the chapel. 
So we were there Thursday. And the first thing we do is go to the desk drawer. We pull these prayer requests out. One of the guys pulled them out and just handed them to each of them so we all had one or more. Here's the one I received. I'm 18 years old and I feel a sense of nothing. I have no family. I just need hope. His first name is Jaden. I wonder how many Jadens are out there. Don't you? We live in a day where the walls have crumbled around us. And yet we are the servants of the Most High God. And we have a calling. It's time to get on it. It's time to attend to it. And some of us have been sitting on the sidelines. Some of us have been trapped. It's just time to move on. To receive his power and his grace and move on. Because we have work to do, do we not? I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to obey your heart. If you're here as a believer today, and I say that as a believer today, I'm not talking to unbelievers, I'm talking to believers. If you're here as a believer today and you know your heart needs to be caught on fire, and you know there may be some things that have interfered with your heart, and you want nothing more than to leave this place with your heart on fire, then I'm going to ask you to come forward and just kneel and ask the Lord to give you a new heart. A new heart. Give me a new heart. got work to do. I need a new heart. Make me more supple. Make obedience flow from me. Transform my heart. Who else? Give me a new heart, Lord. Heart that longs for you. A new heart. Who else? Some of the finest people in our church are kneeling here. This isn't for decrepit, rabid sinners to come forward. It's for people who want to please the Lord. A new heart, Lord. Who else? Father in heaven, you see those kneeling here. You hear the prayers of those who aren't. You know our hearts. We know the time is short. 
life even shorter. And we pray that you would help us to capture our own hearts and to live our lives for you and with you. Hear the prayers of my friends kneeling here and the prayers of those not. Help us to rebuild the walls around us in our own hearts, in our own families, with our close friends and with the greater community. Help us, Lord. And now I pray you'll dismiss us in your great love. I pray this week that we would love and give and forgive as we have been loved and given to and forgiven. May we be surprised this week at how you have used us. Would we return to this place next week full of joy and wonder at the things you have shown us? We live for you. You are our God, and we're happy of it. I pray in Jesus' name. Bless these I love and you love so much more. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.